Hello and welcome to Film Inquiries, the latest. This is a podcast series tackling the latest movie news, movie trends, and movie releases. This week, we have a very curious episode. First of all, Happy New Year to all the listeners out there. Uh, I know 2020 has been um, a cesspool of darkness and despair and uh, at least made me want to pull my hair out every single day. But I hope to all of you out there that 2021 is 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 much better than 2020. Um, but for this week, we're going to kind of play catch up with some movies that came out over the Christmas holiday and the awkward part of this is a lot of these are not available um, on VOD. And so that kind of complicates things into whether or not you are in a, a sort of spot where you feel comfortable going to a theater and seeing them. But um, I feel like it's good to just sort of rush through a few of these. Um, but for right now, have Josh Martin... Reoccurring guest on this podcast here. Josh, you are the only other person on this planet that I know who has seen the the Tom Hanks Western movie News of the World, which yes. our listeners may or may not know this because no one is going to the movie theaters now. There was a Western movie directed by Paul Greengrass who made a bunch of the Bourne movies that stars Tom Hanks and came out over the Christmas holiday. And I think... You and I are among six people who have seen this movie, Josh. Yeah, I'm, I'm no. Gonna, I'm going to be general and say six people in the world have seen this movie. Um, yeah, no, I, I think it's... Well, thank you for having me on. Glad to be here. And uh, yes. yeah, no, I don't know many people who've seen this. I think um, amongst our our friends, I think maybe uh, inside the film room, Zach Owens has seen it. I know he didn't really much care for it either. Um, I got like a, we got sent a screener of it for uh, NCFCA, or I got one sent for review consideration, and I was like, I've been interested in seeing this. I'm I'm a big fan of um, Tom Hanks and Paul Greengrass's last collaboration, Captain Phillips, um, as which, am I, which netted uh, some Oscar nominations, though not for Hanks. He should have, but he didn't get one for that one. Um, and so yeah, I, I took a look at it, and um, it's you know. Universal is doing their strange little 17 day window thing, um, you know, where films are playing in theaters for 17 days and then they'll go on VOD. So this should be on VOD eventually. Um, it's uh, yeah. So, I mean, I guess I can summarize it really briefly for the for the listeners. It's um, it really is a star vehicle for Tom Hanks. There aren't like many other big name actors in it. Um, Tom Hanks plays a former Confederate war veteran though they don't really like telegraph that majorly because I think they try kind of try to slide that under the rug but he's a Texan uh, and this is Reconstruction era America he, he fought on the side of the Confederates and um, I barely even picked up on that the first time and then later I was thinking about it, I was like oh yeah okay anyway so just worth having in mind he is a newsreader which is a job that we don't really have anymore and not one that I really knew much about but he goes around small towns in Texas and he reads uh, newspapers to the uh, to the local people um, and will catch them up on the news and stuff like that um, yeah and then one day he is um, riding out and he finds a um, crashed carriage um, a black man was lynched by a um, mob of uh, aggrieved confederates and there's a young girl 
who he was transporting. Um, she was lived with an indigenous tribe and she speaks no English and she grew up there, but she has a family somewhere else in the country. Nowhere else can, no one else can take her there. And so you end up with this sort of makeshift father, daughter road picture ends up being father, daughter, spoiler. Anyone who's seen a movie knows where this is going. Um, and, uh, and you know, Western things happen. Um, I'm a fan of the Western genre, or at least have become a fan over the last few years. Um, so it was fun to see um, what really is sort of a classical Western on a big stage. Uh, the best way I describe this in my review of it is that it, it's something of a fusion between uh, John Ford's The Searchers and Clint Eastwood's Unforgiven. It is not nearly as good as either of those movies, and those aren't even among my favorite Westerns. Um, this movie, for me, is a real real slog for 75% of its runtime. Um, and it's sort of tied it over until then with some really uh, pretty cinematography, although at times it's way too digital looking as some people have noted. Um, and for me, this movie is single-handedly saved by Tom Hanks uh, who gives a real uh, movie star turn. There's a scene with him in the uh, always great Bill Camp near the end. Uh, that starts to pivot the movie into more emotional territory. Um, and it really works well when it, once it gets to that point, but um, you know, this, as many people have noted, this is very much a change of pace for Paul Greengrass. He's um, you know, whether it's the Bourne movies or 22 July, which I was not a big fan of, or Captain Phillips Same. United 93, all of his stuff has a very distinct style where it's this constant, you know, camera movement, the sort of urgency this film doesn't have that it's in a very sort of old-fashioned mode um you'll either dig that or you won't um it's a very you know it has that trend that sort of all the you know modern westerns have where it's very serious there's some comic relief between um captain kid and johanna who's the the young girl um but it's a very very middle of the road picture and i think that's why most people aren't talking about it is because um there there really aren't like a whole hell of a lot of hot takes to have about it it's just it kind of it's a movie i watched it's sort of in one ear out the other um it's fine I, I, this is not like a ringing endorsement by any means but um if you're a big tom hanks fan you're interested in sort of the uh the star power of tom hanks um it's worth it and i would consider myself someone who, who watches most of the stuff hanks does um with the exception of like the the Dan Brown adaptations. I've never seen any of those, but um, they are terrible. Yeah. That's what I've heard. Yeah. I've kind of jokingly been calling this snooze of the world to people um, there. Here, here's maybe a place for us to jump off with in, in talking about Westerns. I think there's a generation of male filmmakers who kind of grew up watching Western movies, love Western movies. The Western genre has, you know, been part of, the movie since like the birth of cinema basically yeah. and kind of always grew up wanting to make their own western movie sort of that that being kind of the the pinnacle of what you could accomplish as a filmmaker and this kind of feels like a movie that paul greengrass made for no other reason than i just want to make a western and it's tom and... hanks's first western too it's worth noting that as well because you know a lot of That's the major true. major movie stars back in the day, whether it's John Wayne, you know, J Jimmy Stewart, Robert Mitchum, with the exception of basically Cary Grant, everyone makes a Western at some point. Um, you know, it seems like um, 
So yeah, sorry. Right. Just and well, no, I, what I was going to say is because Westerns have been such a large part of the movie going experience since its early days, I feel like it's harder and harder for filmmakers to make a Western that really cuts through the, the just plethora of films out there in this genre. Many of them great. You know, it's the kind of yeah. thing of like, you know, at, can you make a movie that amounts to anything more than just like a bucket of water in an, an ocean? And this kind of feels like a bucket of water in an ocean where like it is a, a handsomely made movie. I love Tom Hanks, but I don't see any anything here that I would not just rather point someone else to in a John Ford movie, for example. Yeah, exactly. And I feel like the Western movies of more recent years that have kind of cut through this are from people, whether it's Kelly Reichardt or Quentin Tarantino, that can add something, add something new to the genre or sort of subvert the iconography that we have come to expect so much. Or, you know, in the case of a movie like Meek's Cutoff that Kelly Reichardt did or um, The Hateful Eight that Tarantino did, kind of placing the power and attention of those movies in the hands of characters that would normally be in kind of the, the background back in sort of the heyday of Westerns and Greengrass isn't doing that. And I don't know necessarily that he like has to, but I feel like you do kind of have to do that to sort of make a Western movie in this day and age that really leaves a mark and feels like something that is sort of essential for you to consume as, as a movie viewer Whereas, kind of like I said, this kind of just gets lost of, like, I don't know, there's kind of just, like, nine or ten other Western movies that are similar enough to this that I would just rather point people to. Yeah. Um, and so I, that's kind of how I I came down on it is, I don't know that it is a, a quote-unquote bad movie. It's, you know, like I said, handsomely well-made, but I just sort of felt it sort of just felt derivative of a whole bunch of other movies and seemed to exist other than to sort of like scratch an itch and check off a genre box for a particular filmmaker. Yeah, absolutely. And I think I was reading a, a thread of uh, critics on Twitter recently. I think it was Noel Murray and a few other critics who were talking about the sort of debating the merits of the neo-Western and the value of subverting or whether these films are really doing anything new. And I kind of agree and disagree with some of those points. And, um, but I think one of the things that you're drawing on that I think is absolutely correct is if you watch a lot of old Westerns, um, if you watch a lot of John Ford movies, if you watch a lot of Howard Hawks Westerns or uh, some of the other sort of major films, you'll notice very quickly, very quickly that all of them are kind of derivative in one way or another. There's like four or five Western plots that get circulated um, over and over. And so my thing with this sort of neo-Western and, and the sort of, you know, this is a very pretty movie, but it's also a very dark movie, both visually and narratively. It is, um, you know, the cinematography is sort of naturalistic in a way that's both appealing and, and kind of ugly at times. Um, there's, you know, the the it's set in a very ugly era of American history, this sort of reconstruction moment where the, country was trying to be brought back together and it wasn't really happening um and so you know there's this constant like outlaws and you know bandits and all that and you know there's no real room for much um 
levity. There's no real room for much sort of anything really valuable to say. Um, it's a film that tries to make political points at different times, but it ends up more um, incoherent from a certain like ideological perspective than anything. I mean, there's one scene where he's like, you know, uh, where Tom Hanks's character is trying to like rile everyone up and like start like a populist revolution. And there's another scene where he's like comforting the lost Confederates. It's like, we're all hurting the rebels. And so it plays this like weird both sides game. Um, so it really ends up like a lot of Westerns being sort of a star vehicle, but you know, as a, a viewer of Westerns, I end up gravitating more towards those that sort of um, like the searchers is not my favorite John Ford movie in the first place. Cause I don't know. It, it's dark and it's interesting. It's like one of the grimmest sort of of that classical period. Um, but something like John Ford's wagon master or the man who shot Liberty Valance, those films have more sort of interesting things to say about Western life, the American dream, American ideology, than some of the really dark ones. Uh, not that the searchers are unforgiven. Don't, really illuminate well but um i already have a limited interest in the sort of um you know the violent men of the west reflect on their sorrow and trauma uh like shane is not my favorite western by any means and so um you know the fact that that is the stuff that works in this like there's a scene with uh, tom hanks at a, a graveyard that's like the you know a, a really sort of uh, peak hanks for me uh, is kind of remarkable, but yeah, I don't know. I, I wish someone would make like a Western, like that's kind of like why I think I like, um, you know, it's not a movie anyone has ever thought about since it came out, but I think it's kind of why I like Seth MacFarlane's million ways to die in the West more than most people. Get out of here. I'm, I'm at least, closing the at, podcast. At least <laughs> it's, it, 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 you know, I don't know. It has some, something, some sort of silliness, some sort of a different approach of it, of, of, of looking at the American West than, everything was dark and miserable and awful and you know and which is true i mean but when when you sort of constantly sort of uh end up in a pit of realism and you know i don't know there's just there's not much here that's like all that interesting or entertaining and it's a it's a film that works backwards basically um you know it ends up at a good a good point where we feel like we understand hanks's character um but it's sort of it's politics um are not illuminate are not particularly illuminating and the film itself is not thrilling enough to make you sort of overlook some of its uh deficiencies in and of itself at least that's where i ended up coming down on it well let's maybe transition from instead of talking about the movie as a whole to talking about tom hanks yeah who i think I, I kind of wrote something about Castaway for Film Inquiry earlier this year and talked about how, and even though as iconic as that movie is, he's really under, that performance I feel like is really underrated. And I feel like Tom Hanks, kind of in the last decade or so, has been a very underrated as like a middle-aged movie star actor who's just kind of like, his, whose presence and sort of star power is just sort of like consistently good pretty much every single time. But this movie, I think, is kind of an interesting transition point into Hanks as a much older actor or playing a much older character. And it reminded me a little bit of a movie that I don't think you have seen. I don't know that I recommend any of our listeners see it because I, I thought it was quite bad. 
um, which is Midnight Sky, this new movie on Netflix that George Clooney directed and stars in. And it's a science fiction movie. Um, and Clooney, who is is very rarely in a movie these days, pretty much unless he is directing it, is very, very old looking in it. And it, it, it there was this almost sort of like surreal experience of watching him in this movie where he seems very frail. He has this like big Santa Claus beard, which ironically maybe fits because his character is living in the North Pole. Ah. Um, that's that's not a hint that he's Santa Claus at all. Please <laughs> do not expect that he, this is a sto a sneak uh, George Clooney Santa movie. But it was interesting seeing that he is now it seems transitioning into like a much older actor. And I thought it'd be fun for us to talk about this idea of these kind of big movie stars that I know you and I grew up with particularly like big male movie stars and are now transitioning into the kind of much older character actors um, in, in their kind of late stage of life. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I, I think Hanks has been, um, gosh, I feel like I read this somewhere. Like I'm convinced this is not an original thought of mine, but like a lot, you know, everyone sort of commented that Hanks, um, you know, is a uniquely sort of American actor. He is sort of the, the ultimate American male movie star in terms of, in this current age. Um, he, he's pretty much like, I think fully um, embraced the kind of like America's dad persona. Yeah. And he's constantly sort of playing, which is why I think someone said, and I, I apologize to whoever wrote this and I can't remember who it was, but that it was shocking that he hadn't made a Western before because he has been, you know, for the last like decade, especially, and it probably started with saving private Ryan, as most people have noted, but you know, in, you know, bridge of spies, uh, the post, the Mr. Rogers movie, he's been playing these sort of, um even greyhound i don't know if you saw that over the summer the apple tv world war ii movie he did i did um yeah this sort of very um you know stoic dutiful men who sort of you know get the job done and then uh, captain phillips would fit into this too and then sort of like reveal their emotional cracks at the end and so you know it's an interesting sort of uh continuation of that theme and he's been very good in a lot of these roles and i haven't disliked him in anything except made the mr rogers movie which ironically is the one he got an oscar for i didn't dislike him but it's not my favorite performance of his i will say i'm interested to see more than anything what he does next year as colonel tom parker in the elvis movie i'm really interested oh, to see I him forgot that he's i'm doing really it. interested to see him stretch himself in that way and play sort of a a villainous, a villainous character yeah i think that'll be a really interesting step for him um and it's not that he hasn't played sort of unlikable characters before i mean i never got through cloud atlas frankly i need to watch it because I, I know i'll probably like it but i know he played some sort of unlikable characters in that film but i really do want to see him play sort of a, a really meaty villain role um, and i'm excited to see how that turns out well, I, are, are there any other movie stars that you are kind of like fascinated to see where they're going to to go in into their old age or what persona they are are possibly going to adapt? Um, I mean, I, I, Clooney seems to be someone who, from interviews I've I've read, 
of him recently around this new movie seems to be less interested in acting anymore. So I, I doubt we're going to get too many like who, late who period needs, Who needs acting when you own your $12 billion tequila company? <laughs> I mean, yes, but you're right. Uh, but I, I don't know who are some of, cause I was trying to think of like, who are the big, at least male movie stars. Cause I'm sure if we talk about movie stars in general, I could throw in someone like Julia Roberts or Nicole Kidman or Sandra Bullock. But I, when thinking about who the like significant male movie stars of kind of like my adolescence and growing up where it's, you know, it's, it's Pitt, it's yep. Clooney, it's Hanks, it's Denzel Washington and yep. Tom Cruise. And all of these guys are like DiCaprio. Yeah, DiCaprio yeah. too. Although I noticeably like a little bit younger, so I think yeah. we're we're still got some years there. But I mean, the other guys that I mentioned are in like their fifties or their sixties now, yeah. And are are it'll, I don't know. Is there anyone you're kind of interested to see like how they're going to sort of evolve into an actor as they get older? Pitt is the one I'm really interested in at the moment. I think because he you know just finished um, is just coming off the Oscar um for once upon a time in hollywood and and that is very much um you know i've I've written about once upon a time in hollywood extensively i love that film dearly and and you know it fits in a little bit with what you're talking about they're not quite like i think you know you're saying with hanks and clooney are they're sort of reaching their late stage appearances where it's like you know they're not like super old but they're they're get, getting to that point of sort of like um where they can play old men um you know dicaprio and pitt that's very clearly like a mid-age crisis movie where it's like you know um sort of this panic over obsolescence and and everything and uh but pitt doesn't seem to be slowing down necessarily and um you know he's doing gosh what is he doing that movie with david leach that's like an action movie but i'm very interested to see what performance he turns in in um Whenever the hell we see Damien Chazelle's Babylon, I was about to say, which yeah. is maybe my most anticipated movie that's sort of out there in waiting right now. Um, yeah, I'll be very interested to see because I think he's playing a riff on. Oh, it's a very famous like late 20s silent star that fails to make the transition. Tragic story, but he's playing that role. Um and I imagine it's a character who will end up seeing, you know, basically confronting death. And it's a, it's John Gilbert. I'm fairly certain is who he's supposed to be playing. And John Gilbert, you know, falls out and dies in the, you know, mid thirties and spoilers, sorry, history, but, um, you know, and, uh, it'll be interesting to pay, see Pitt play that kind of role, especially so shortly after playing, you know, this paragon of violent, wounded masculine strength in the tarantino movie and so pitt is the movie star that i'm most interested in seeing their persona um evolve and change dicaprio has always been a bit more chameleonic in terms of he's always playing different roles and um you know denzel i'm interested in, in seeing him do sort of another oh i forgot about that one so you can't wait to see what he does um in the cohen movie oh oh yeah with, with mcdorman uh, Macbeth, yeah I mean, the, the, this is notable that we bring this up because I wanted to kind of close out this segment by just asking you briefly if there's a, a movie you feel like has been kind of like undervalued from the last year that you want to point listeners towards and then something for next year that you're particularly uh, really excited about. Ooh, let me take a look real quick. Um, There is... 
I mean, I I liked. Uh, I won't go on long about it, but I'll say that um, if I found this with uh, with some friends of ours who have, uh, and I think even your rating went up a little bit on second watch. But um, everyone I know who has seen uh, Tenet twice ends up liking it more the second time. So I think it's a movie that's worth a second. Subtitles shake. are a marvel. We, we, <laughs> I don't know if you've listened to the Tenet episode I did with Jake Tropola on here, but we both admitted that, like, even even if we don't think the movie is quote unquote good, that the second time at home experience with the subtitles made it like a thousand times more fun yeah no for sure and so i i think it's a very as someone who's sort of uh for better or worse interested in the uh, auteur persona of christopher nolan i thought it was a an interesting ride and then just to shout out i guess a couple movies that were uh small films that didn't really get much attention that i liked a lot i saw ken loach's sorry we missed you at um film fest 919 in 2019 and I like that film a lot, and it stuck with me for a year and a half. It's a dark film, but it's worth watching, and perhaps even more relevant in the the pandemic. I also liked The Climb, this sort of um, bromance movie that's uh, sort of, but also like with this sort of indie spin, very well made. Um, and then this isn't out yet, but whenever uh, whenever Simon Liang's Days gets a release in 2021, I saw that at uh, at the New York Film Festival's virtual fast um and that was a a really great film especially if you've seen some of his films before um and then yeah as i said earlier i'm excited for the new chazelle movie whenever that comes out um the new scorsese i'm not convinced that's coming this year and so i'm not i I was about to say my hopes up i just had a conversation off mic with uh, a mutual friend of ours um who might show up on this episode but yeah we we talked about that movie hasn't even like begun no. production and so i i doubt we're gonna see that this year i'm excited for mission impossible 7 is like the blockbuster cheese movie of of the year coming up but my other main ones i would say are um george miller has a new movie not mad max but i'm interested in that um and I think we're getting new stuff from Linklater, uh, Robert Eggers, and maybe Wong Kar Wai next year. Uh, I'm not sure what the state of that project is, but those are all films that I'm I'm looking forward to and uh, that I hope end up good. Plus some stuff that got delayed from this year. You know, Oh, the Paul right. Thomas Anderson movie. The, duh. That's S- the other speak, one. That... Speaking my language. Yeah, whenever, whenever, what, what are they, are they actually calling it Soggy Bottom or is that just the working title? But whenever that comes out, I'm going to ask the uh, ask Christy if she if she would voluntarily rename this the Soggy Bottom Boys podcast. <laughs> yes, please. All right, want to welcome back to the podcast, good friend of mine, Hunter Heilman. Uh, oh. Happy Happy New Year, Hunter. Oh, yeah. That's quaint. It, it it can't get any worse. Well, Don't I, 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 actually, I guess yes, it could. It, can. <laughs> it could. Never mind. I literally I just saw back. something on CNN <laughs> that was like new South African strain of the coronavirus might. Uh, no, impede, it said might impede vaccine efficacy. And at that point, I was like, I'm gonna go find some stones in my yard and walk into the lake that I live near because, oh my god, I don't think I can do this. But you know what? <sighs> As long as there are good movies, I honestly might stick around because let's let's switch to talking about movies. I w- yeah. specifically wanted to have you on to talk about Promising Young Woman, uh, which I know is one of your favorite films of the year. 
Um, it's a movie that didn't quite work for me, but I really wanted to have you on to kind of Yeah, well, you're just a hater, kind of... so it's like... <laughs> you always do such a great job, I think, of helping explain movies that maybe uh, I Are don't like when we do. just a little too gay. Just a little too outside of, like... <laughs> out of that maybe maybe that we don't necessarily see eye to eye on um i'm gonna give you the difficult task of explaining what this movie is because i'm not quite sure i can do it without fully spoiling the movie i'm not quite sure what is what the expectations are of people going into it i think i kind of had an idea what it was based off of the reactions out of sundance but I, i i don't know how many of the listeners know what information about this movie so why why don't why don't you go for that yeah i'll try to keep it to like maybe what's like listed in the like trailer though i don't think the trailer fully gives the full spectrum of what the movie does um so the the movie is written by written and directed by emerald fennel or fennel i'm not exactly sure how to pronounce it i'm gonna say fennel um and this is her first feature film. Uh, she, if you guys don't know, she is an actress. If you guys watched the third or fourth season of The Crown, she played Camilla Parker Bowles. She was also in Call the Midwife. And uh, more recently, uh, she was known for writing and producing the second season of Killing Eve once once uh, Phoebe Waller-Bridge passed on the, the torch to someone else. So... This is her first feature film, and it follows a a young woman, who would have thought, um, very promising, but um, follows a young woman named Cassie, played by Carrie Mulligan, and she is 30 years old. She's a former med student who uh, had to drop out because of a, a, a problem that arose from the sexual assault of her best friend, who ended up killing herself. And since then, she has been kind of purposefully baiting predatory men into trying to sexually assault her with the kind of obvious means that I think a lot of men use against women. Oh, she's drunk. She's dressed like she wants it. You know, all that kind of cliche, gross, manipulative crap that people spout to justify sexual assault and then um she snaps out of it it's all an act and and punishes these men for for what they what they do to women and it's hard to say it's hard to like leave it at that because on one hand yeah that is what the movie's about but also on the other hand this movie delves into a lot more personal aspects from people that she actually uh has interacted with and wants to gain i guess some sort of quote vengeance on but it's not this it's not the typical revenge movie it's not that sad it's not a kill bill type of scenario it's much smarter right much more like biting and cerebral rather than like a physical oh i'm gonna kill you like type of revenge movie it it works in much quieter much more like i guess mysterious ways but um at the center of that is like carrie mulligan's just just out of this world performance yeah i would say the the one thing about the movie that i do i would absolutely agree with you i think carrie mulligan is terrific in it and i love carrie mulligan and oh but jesse thought... she's not pretty enough didn't you read varieties was it varieties review where they were like oh you know, 
no, I don't know what you're talking. What happened? Uh, I think it was. Oh God, it was either Variety or Vulture, one of the V ones. I'm sorry. I'm sorry to whichever one it wasn't. But like Carrie Mulligan was did an interview with someone, and like they were like, "Do you like ever read reviews, like or anything like that?" And she's like, "I try not to, but there was one that bothered me about promising young woman that said I wasn't like." pretty enough or like sexy enough to convincingly oh, play Jesus this Christ. role <laughs> and they were like oh maybe like margot robbie should have played it since she's the producer of it and like variety had to put out like an apology of being like hey sorry that the person who reviewed this movie about sexism against women was sexist against women um and it was like this whole thing and i would yeah but they were saying carrie mulligan was miscast which i literally could not disagree more i think she is perfect for this role in the way that like you know when you see a performance where you're like that's not usually what you do this is not what we've kind of come to know carrie mulligan for she's definitely more known for like the prestige british roles and those like period piece far from the matting crowd or even like an education type roles and this is not that it is a very contemporary modern american performance and she still kills it which just i mean the range yeah i mean i've i've thought since an education that she was kind of misused a lot in movies and that's interesting you bringing up like you know her being more known for this sort of like much quieter sort of uh i don't know kind of buttoned up prestige she's like a mouthier version of like of like Kira knightley that's how people that's how hollywood started casting her and then you kind of stopped hearing from her because it was like yeah i mean she's great but i feel like she doesn't always choose the right movies and this one was like oh this is the movie that we're talking about that she needs to be utilized in and i I think wildlife was the one that i remember seeing and being like oh yeah yeah this is what she should have been doing all along yeah yeah you know and it was the movies that weren't really as approachable that i think she did the best in you know something like inside lewin davis or shane yes they're not marketable movies unfortunately but she's fabulous in them but the movies that she's marketable in you know like Gatsby, yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I do, I, I really do like The Great Gatsby, but or like even something like Suffragette, where it's like, yeah, it's still kind of an art house movie, but it's like a very marketable kind of watered down, like indie Oscar bait movie, where you're just like, you're so good, but you're in things that are so generic or like things that just don't help you like really show your range and this does that and that i mean one thing i really like about this movie is that it is not what you would expect from a quote oscar movie if you want to if you want to call it that no i wouldn't even necessarily put it in that category no it's it's going to be in the sense that carrie mulligan like is a shoe in at least for a nomination if not the win i would love to see her win it was my favorite performance of last year um at least from a leading actress i would probably say overall too but um but it's also like really biting and clever and something that is also like really speaks to me and kind of like i guess sort of like a millennial generation i'm on the cusp of it i'm i'm kind of halfway between millennial and gen z but like one thing that spoke to me a lot was just the scene where they uh like lip synced to paris hilton stars are blind great great uh, scene though in a in a pharmacy because i love 
I really like Paris Hilton's music. I'm not gonna lie. She's better than people give her credit for. And it's like prime bubblegum pop music. And I love that stuff. And I like movies that uh I, I like movies that they're like I guess they validate I guess traditionally feminine interests in a way that doesn't feel degrading. Because like I'm yeah. a man. I'm a gay man. I have a lot of feminine interests. I've loved I love bubblegum pop music and I love like the the complete aesthetic of this movie, even down to something like the casting of like Jennifer Coolidge as Carrie Mulligan's mom. It's just it all comes down to this like really specific brand of I guess just like taste in media that Emerald Fennell I think does really well and it's just cool it's just a really effortlessly cool movie and it's also it it is scathing in how it approaches the reckoning for sexual assault within the the culture of toxic masculinity in a way that we haven't seen before i feel like everyone wants to make that like oh me too movie but at a point it's like you can only make so many movies you know you can only make so many like the assistants where it's like yeah, it's great, but we only need one movie like this. Promising young woman was promising young woman was like, "Oh, y'all want something new? Let's give it to you." And so that's what I loved about it. I'm not exactly sure what you what didn't work for you though. Totally, I I think I'm I'm gonna be um kind of use a Roger Ebert quote to I think kind of uh explain great Roger what... Ebert gets spice world of uh, uh one and a or a half star out of four so um uh... I love him but I will read him yeah so Ro- I mean Rod Rod has his missteps but I, there's a Roger Ebert quote that I think is like um it's not what a movie's about it's how it's about it and I think for me this is a movie that is very much about a very important issue that I think is is necessary for us as a culture and a society to have more conversations about, even though it can be very thorny in talking about sexual assault and talking about even just the idea of consent and um, who we believe when it comes down to men and women. Um, but I... I kind of just kept thinking that there was a more aggressive movie that was was kind of like lurking in the shadows, but just didn't. I feel like this movie is more interested in kind of like standing on a soapbox and talking about sort of um, these kind of important ideas as opposed to really making the audience wrestle with them. Like, I think the thing that uh I, I like briefly texted you in our like group message after we saw a screening of it was just like i don't know i i feel like the more daring movie would make me like feel sick to my stomach and would really okay. and and would yeah go for it i don't think this movie is made for either of us i think it's more i think it is a movie made tailored more to the Carrie Mulligan character of mm-hmm. this movie in that like i think this movie is made more for women who have gone through this or even men who have gone through i think this. that's fair I personally, yeah. like i personally have not suffered at the hands of of sexual harassment or sexual assault in the way that carrie mulligan's character did in this film and 
Uh, I don't know if I can I can say I love the film, but I can't fully speak from empathy or or like direct empathy or direct experience. So um, I would argue slightly that I don't know if that's necessarily something that people who have gone through that maybe want to see. I don't know if something like a, a traditional rape revenge thriller is something that uh, that people who are actually trying to reckon with the experience of having gone through it as opposed to people reckoning with the experience of like maybe contributing to that culture would feel like it's the same way i felt about something like um like paul verhoeven's l i love yes. that movie i, I kind of couldn't get that out of my head watching yeah. this another one. incredibly biting movie that i think um has a has a best actress nominee in it that um i just love and i think Emma Stone should be charged in federal court for larceny for taking away <laughs> Isabella Pair's Oscar for that. Um, but it, it, it's very similar to that in that it approaches this idea of uh, of how people reckon with the idea of rape and sexual assault and how they run with it and how it might not be necessarily the exact same thing as how other movies might convince you that it is. This isn't I Spit on Your Grave and it's not like straw dogs or kill bill it is something entirely different and you know despite the fact that l was not written or directed by a woman i think it has more of that feminine sensibility to it as opposed to you know something where you want to see these guys get like brutally murdered you don't really get that in this movie despite the fact it's rated r for strong violence i would not argue that that is yeah but like it's a much more talky cerebral movie so if you're going to this movie thinking that you're going to see something uh you're going to be satisfied with like comeuppance in the sense of oh i want to see these dudes get like really messed up you're not going to get that in like the visceral gory sense but you will get that more in the like ooh, like she's very clever type of, of sense and so you know i don't think i don't think your argument is I don't think your argument is invalid in that, in the sense from speaking from a, a film perspective, though, um, I would also argue that we are not the target audience for this movie. However, we are an audience for this movie. Yeah, and I, I, I agree with that. And I, yes, and I, I do uh, really love, I'm glad you brought up L because that's the other movie I couldn't just like get out of my head. And that movie is so cerebral and goes in so many crazy unexpected places and is just such a like as a paul verhoeven movie tends to do yes and and just gives you this like very thorny complicated thing and just sort of like i i I almost (laughs) i hate to just always just like compare one movie against each other on the show but like in the way that that movie kind of drops you this incredibly thorny um complicated sort of both kind of like emotionally and psychologically movie and character into the audience's lap and is just like and you figure it out. I mean, off the bat first shot of the movie, you're like, oh dear God. And it's it's very French in that in that regard, despite the fact Paul Verhoeven's Dutch. It's like it is the way that I think France handles sexual assault is something you see a lot with like the way that they still uh like tolerate roman polanski as a whole as opposed to you know oh god <laughs> well i mean you think about the way that like adele hanel or Celine yeah. Sama 
responded to how many awards his last film won at the Cesar Oh, awards, I forgot the about that. Academy Awards. <laughs> so in America, everyone was like, yes, you go, girl. But like in France, it like there was a backlash against them for like speaking up against that. And I mean, there have been like Catherine Deneuve has like been on like these like petitions with other French actresses of like, y'all are going too hard on these men. And it's like, no. And I think Elle was one of those movies that really reckoned with it of like, hey, this isn't like, this is not something that we as a society necessarily need to tolerate. And I think Isabella Paris is an actress that is so fiery and, and does such daring things that it fits perfectly with that um i don't know why the um i don't know how this became a thing about l i've been on a big isabella pair kick lately so um oh no gonna... i mean it's it's i i'm glad you brought it up because it's the movie watch, i couldn't watch this get movie out of my until head until you can watch promising young woman when it comes to vod since you shouldn't go see it in theaters yes uh, agreed and and i would highly recommend people check out promising young woman because i think as we're kind of doing here it's a great movie to kind of like debate and unpack and talk with people and i i think i i fully um get the the kind of argument for it and of you know it being this i it, it although it feels weird to call it a revenge fantasy having it be have that kind of energy to it i think it's and a more that sort of empowerment one. yes than, maybe not even like a revenge fantasy there are a lot of fantasy elements of the film it's definitely a very like again like i said earlier bubblegum pop kind of like viewpoint of things but that's not necessarily fantasy it's it's still pretty rooted a lot in reality and what actually can be done or how people might actually want to approach or reckon with this type of thing and what's good about it too is that it's unlike something like l it is a movie that while there is a conversation to be had it still it still has a ton of wit and it's very clever and quite funny in a lot of a lot of parts so it's a it's a good time that i think can also lead to like good conversations and good self-reflection on a lot of different parts from a lot of different viewpoints and yeah and i think i think for me it kind of you know, Carrie Mulligan's uh, character is not perfect in this movie. She can be quite frustrating sometimes, but it's like no, and a- and some and some of the the scenes I almost wish like push that character even a little further. I don't, I don't know. I I I had, I'm certainly open to the take of the this being kind of a power fantasy, and um, while also kind of still having my reservations of feeling like I want it, like the more daring movie would like force the audience not necessarily be like full kill bill gory but would sort of as term in in terms of the politics would sort of force the audience watching it to be less kind of like yeah this 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 is right and that's wrong and more forced to sort of reckon with oh how have i sort of maybe contributed to this kind of culture and sort of indict some of its own audience in being kind of complicit in the this kind of uh, appalling um, sort of toxic masculinity, or or just sort of like way there's several characters in the movie that are very much kind of like brush off a lot of the the sexual violence in it, um, and it, even you mentioned kind of the men who are kind of like 
well, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm being nice. I'm taking this drunk girl home with me, and oh, I guess I'm a little drunk too. So that's why I'm going to make these advances. Yeah. And I, I almost wanted the movie to sort of push more towards the audience and sort of implicate, force the audience to examine how they have maybe fallen prey to some of the this bad behavior and bad justification as opposed to kind of allowing the audience to be on the like, oh, well, I'm I'm clearly on the Carrie Mulligan side um, yeah. because I, I don't necessarily think in the real world, I I think more people are more guilty of kind of like turning a blind eye oh, than necessarily. Um, and I think that's what, I think that's what actually is, is quite effective about this movie is that you can sit there and be like, yes, girl, like work mama, slay queen type, you know, you can have that sensibility about the movie, but it really does come to like a really powerful moment when you're like, I don't know if like, like she, she again, she is frustrating. And it's one of those things of like, people tend to focus on like women being difficult as opposed to men being predators. And, right. and it's one of those things of like, yeah, she's difficult, but she has a reason to be. She is in a difficult situation. She's not in, she's not just like footloose and fancy free, like all these other characters who can brush off all of the atrocities they kind of commit in their normal everyday life. And uh, it's something that you just kind of have to sit with afterwards. And it, it's not even like, have I contributed to this culture? It's like, have I actively brushed off people trying to approach and fix the, the like intricacies of this culture? It, it, it trickles down quite a bit and I don't think anyone kind of comes away from this movie feeling like completely absolved of any sort of like guilt, even if by association or just by inaction. Uh, I think it's, it's very effective in that regard. Also um, we've been talking a ton about Carrie Mulligan. I do want to touch a little bit on Bo Burnham, who is also very great in this movie for very, I, I did reasons. enjoy him a lot. Yeah. He was, he was in my best supporting actor nods for NCSDA. I really enjoyed him in this movie as well. He is incredibly likable and that is what makes his performance. So like really wonderful among the sea of other men in this movie. And that's what makes, I think everything that comes to a head kind of in the film's kind of third act Though yes. there are quite a few third acts, I would argue, with this movie. It does just kind of keep unfolding and unfolding and unfolding until it's just like, oh yeah, they, she, Emerald Fennell covered all the bases of what could go on with the, the film's ending, which is a big, contra like, I wouldn't say it's controversial. It's a big point of contention within a lot of people and... And I that that's that surprises me because I think despite some of my reservations about the I movie, I, I thought it. I almost thought like the ending had more of the kind of like pulpy energy that I was yeah. like missing from the first, however long the movie, yeah. first like hour and a half, if that makes mm -hmm. sense. So, but yeah, I I just think it's a it's a very good like I, I I hate coming back to it, but I love this movie so much. It is a very good like American counterpart to something like Elle in that it is really scathing, but not in this way that we have been kind of conditioned to view quote scathing movies to be within the spectrum of Hollywood movies. And I think that's something that's really, really refreshing. And it's something that I hope that uh, Margot Robbie as a producer, if you guys don't know, Margot Robbie's like the main producer on this film. Um, 
I would love to see her make like put more filmmakers like Emerald Fennell in the spotlight and give them that funding that I think they greatly deserve. So I definitely recommend everyone check out Promising Young Woman um, when it's safely available for them. Um, if only because I think it's it's a great movie to have really in-depth conversations like this about whether it's you know the you know importance of consent and all, even all if the of, style all that, isn't the for whole, everyone right but even then i think you know this opened it up for us to have like a really interesting conversation about like style and aesthetic and like what style and aesthetic works for certain subject matter in movies that i i you know um before i let you go any one recommendation of something from the last year that you would point um, listeners to viewing and what's, what's something you're excited for next year? Oh God. Um, within the past Aside year, from a vaccine. <laughs> yeah, for real. Um, like looking back, I would say, but my number one film of the year and one that I think went entirely unnoticed was um, Natalie Erica James's Relic. Uh, it was released by IFC Midnight, so it definitely is a little bit uh, of a smaller release, uh, especially within the guise of like COVID and such. It really only played at a few drive-in theaters and then went to VOD, but uh, it's produced by Jake Gyllenhaal and um, executive produced by the Russo brothers, so that's something that I feel like could have been stated a little bit more, but it is a, it is a wonderful indie horror film about... Uh, kind of like the slow decline of like older members of your family or like in this case it's uh, a mother and a gr- or a grandmother and a mother in this film and it's uh, Robin Nevin, Emily Mortimer and Bella Heathcote. It's an Australian horror film and it is so like tender and sympathetic and it is a movie that completely broke me this year and I know that might not sound like something that is uh, particularly appealing right now we want to look to something that's a little bit more lighthearted, especially at the end of 2020 but i highly recommend you search it out it is truly one of the more uh one of the more effective and like emotionally jarring movies i've seen this year um looking forward for the next year i would say um i'm excited for a lot of genre movies with the upcoming year mostly uh i'm excited for halloween kills as well as uh I haven't seen a trailer yet, so it's hard for me to say I'm, quote, excited for it. Um, I am excited for Mortal Kombat as well. I'm a big Mortal Kombat fan, so I would like to see them do that well. And then lastly, uh, Candyman. I'm, I wish we could have seen that this year, but Candyman. Well, I think that's good as place as any to to wrap us up, and you're you're always welcome back on the podcast to drop. I was about to say, y'all go watch some horror movies. There's some good ones this year. A lot of, a lot of great ones this year.